Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amidon. And I'm Ann Monroe. And this is the Teacher's Journey, Mile Markers on the Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Mississippi School of Education and is an Amadon Planet production. You know what? You know what's good, Ann, is you know, if at first you don't succeed, you know what you do? I think you try, try again. Try, try again. Mm-hmm. So we we tried to get our guest, uh, Nicole Robertson, on before. Well, we did. We had we had a great episode. It was one of the best episodes I think we ever had. Um, yeah. The only problem is... Uh, I did not have the right amount of recording capacity on the SD card that because we, we were together in a room. It was beautiful. We had wonderful exchanges and my fault, my fault. So we're trying again. We're trying again. And Nicole, you've been so gracious to give us some your time and we appreciate it. But yeah, Dr. Monroe, my fault, my fault. Totally. That's all right. Round two. Round two. <laughs> Round two. Hey, listen, we're all teachers. We've all had to teach a lesson multiple times. So this is sort of like, you know. That we'll hope second it gets right? try. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, Nicole, uh, thank you again for uh, spending some time with us on this afternoon. But could you just give a little uh, introduction to for those that might not be aware of the greatness of Nicole Robertson? <laughs> um, well, my name is Nicole Robertson. Um, I was a high school teacher for the last 20 years, teaching um, just about every possible upper level science class that you could have in in a high school classroom. Um, Most recently, I have joined the School of Education and I am now an instructor of secondary science ed. I'm getting the opportunity to work with future student teachers, all of these future science educators. And I also work with the Global Teaching Project to hopefully implement a lot of STEM classes, specifically AP STEM classes in a lot of our districts who perhaps have never offered these STEM classes before um, or just perhaps don't have the the staff to be able to make it happen. So we're trying to get those facilitated. It's like a huge like access project. I mean, just like the, the letting letting folks get access, letting students get access to these classes is is, <laughs> is amazing. Uh, as a uh, endeavor, but also amazing undertaking for you, uh, kind of leading the charge here. Yeah, it's been kind of a, a crazy adventure all year long. Um, we have almost 30 schools in the state right now who are teaching some combination of our classes. Right now we're offering AP Computer Science Principles, AP Physics 1, and AP Biology. Some schools offer only one of the courses, some offer two, um, and we even have one school who's offering all three. Um, you know, it's it's very rewarding um, to be able to give these students and to give these teachers this type of, of opportunity. Um, you know, a lot of our great teachers, when they're in school districts that are very rural, they they get kind of prioritized to teach, you know, the, the state tested classes, the, the classes that are necessary for graduation, which is which is honestly what should happen. Um, but sometimes that means that, you know, the smaller groups of your really strong gifted students may not have the access to some of those advanced placement classes that could be used to challenge them, that could be used to really push them, you know, to develop just skills that are essential for life and just for further in their education. Yeah. I mean, I know when I was back in my day, um, <laughs> I only had, we only had access to AP calculus and we had somebody that was able mm-hmm. to teach it. And we even lived in a town kind of like here, like right next to a university. And that was the only 
um, AP class we had access to. And just thinking about um, then going to the university and seeing like there was all the, there's like freshmen that were registering as sophomores just because they had access, just having access. So it's, this is, this is pretty cool. Uh, kind of excited for all that, that you're doing. Yeah, it's really awesome. You know, I, I grew up in a tiny, tiny little town that is very similar to a lot of the places where we are reaching out to. And we had just a single class as well. It was just AP Calculus. That was the one and only offering that we had. Um, and so those of us that were kind of on that track, we jumped on it. Mm-hmm. But now I don't think my high school offers any AP classes. Mm-hmm. So that's on our list to potentially add to our, our group that we're serving the, the next year. There you go. All right. Uh, and we'll put a link into the Global Teaching Project and, and any information that we have uh, into the show notes for the episode. So, um, but hey, like, again, 20 years in education, a long time. So, and then, you know, thinking about your career as a student before that. So we like to start off with this uh, interview countdown where we uh, have uh, an opportunity to do the little three, two, one. So the first, the three is thank three teachers who have shaped your development as a person. So three teachers, um, this, this was really hard when I went through and just tried to identify because I, I feel like I was very fortunate to have just wonderful teachers all the way through, you know, all the way down to when my grandmother taught me at Head Start. Um, but three that really just stood out, Mr. Joe Chumbly, he was my high school science teacher um, or one of two high school science teachers that I had. Um, he taught all of the life sciences. I had him for three out of my four years. And after my freshman year, he gave me the opportunity to start working as a lab assistant for him. And so even if I wasn't sitting in his classroom, taking his class as a student, I was getting experience working with other classes, um, getting to fill in with dissections, set things up, grade papers, um, and really help just in the whole planning process. So it was that was just a lot of fun. It helped me to um, just kind of see things from the other side. Um, and he was constantly there supporting me all the way through, you know, even my college classes. Um, there were many weekends when we needed to prep for something for a test. And he was willing to open up his lab and study with us or give us access to some of his lab supplies to help us. Um, a second teacher that I would definitely throw a thank you out to is Miss Kathy Alexander. I had her in, as my fifth grade homeroom and ELA teacher, and then again as my eighth grade ELA teacher. ELA was not, you know, the area that I, I really enjoyed. I was I was a science and math person, but I loved her class. Um, she was always so welcoming. She always, you know, looked for things to kind of pull out about everybody just so that you would know that you were valued, that you had, you know, input into everything that was going on. And she was just such a welcoming person. So even after I moved away from home, went to college, you know, started my own career, my own family, she was one of those that always checked in on me, Um, you know, would check in with my mom and ask how I was doing and, you know, just to make sure that everything was still going really well. And then I guess my third one would have to be my clinical instructor when I was doing my student teaching. Her name is Judy Nicholas. Um, I had the opportunity to student teach under her with the classes, I think we had regular level biology and also her honors biology. 
And she just gave me a lot of freedom. Um, she allowed me to try things out, to brainstorm for ideas. She gave me the opportunity to fail, um, gave me the opportunity to see if something was going to work. And if it didn't, we would sit down and have conversations about, okay, why did this not work? Um, what could we do, you know, the next time that you, you know, attempt this. So she gave me, you know, free reign to to really kind of discover myself as a teacher um, while also being that nice support system just to help me, you know, feel secure enough to take some of those risks. And Nicole, was that student teaching through the University of Mississippi School of Education? It was. It was. Um, That was back in the spring of 2000. Um, I was in the first graduating class when they brought secondary ed back um, to Ole Miss and to the university. That's awesome. But I also like about the first two teachers that you mentioned, um, kind of speaking back about those, you know, coming from a small town and, um, you know, making sure that students have um, what they need in these smaller schools that don't maybe that are under resourced, but that you had these teachers um, that were your teacher more than once. So you had your mm-hmm. fifth grade language arts teachers, you know, for two different grade levels. You had the science teacher that was taught a lot of the different sciences. But how lucky to have wonderful teachers mm-hmm. um, it, when you experience them more than once and how important that is that every teacher is a great teacher because you never know, you know, is this person, you know, how often is this person going to be working with you and how many different students are they impacting? And particularly in these small places where you have some, a teacher doing so many different things and serving in so many different roles, the importance of having uh, someone uh, that's excellent uh, because of that, uh, you know, repeated exposure is kind of neat and kind of speaks to what you're doing with your uh, AP work in the state. That's kind of neat. Absolutely. I think too, and, and, and just seeing some connections too, because I think, and it's part of your story too, like the trying on, like with the, your example from the first teacher, like trying on the identity of a teacher, like getting to see like kind of the, the other side of things where you're engaging in planning. And like, I remember I had Mr. Bolden would, I was a tutor for his class, but really I helped with planning, like kind of what you're talking about, help with planning, help plan field trips and uh, do sort do all sorts of different things during a free period in my high school. Mm-hmm. And like, that's pretty important. Like, you know, thinking about like, if we, you know, we're trying to get more teachers involved, like how often are we letting our teachers uh, try on the identity? Cause that is part of your story, Anne, right? Didn't, didn't That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of had an inkling. I think I might want to be a teacher. It's just sort of an idea I had, but I remember in fifth grade, it really, uh, you know, was something that I thought, yeah, I think this is what I'm going to do. I know that sounds like a really young age, but uh, I was given the opportunity to work with, um, a kindergarten class. I can't remember how often it was like maybe uh, on Fridays or like once a week, but I would go down and help sister Frances in her <laughs> kindergarten class. And um, I was assigned to work in particular with this little boy on sight words. And I just loved it. I mean, I had no, idea, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but um, I just loved it. And I kind of thought I might want to be a teacher because I came from a family of teachers. And so it was an idea I had, but it really was sort of something that I could see myself doing and something that I saw that I actually enjoyed. It wasn't just an idea. It was something real. Once I got that opportunity to, to go in and, and work with that kindergarten class, um, that, that, that sort of, I don't know, made it something that was a more definite for me. And I really enjoyed it. 
and I saw some success now, I don't know how much success, but to me as a fifth grader, (laughs) he was improving on his sight words every time I would go down. So that was really exciting for me. So like thinking that going into our next phase, uh, thinking about two reasons or events that led you to become a teacher. What do you got for that, Nicole? You know, early on, um, kind of, and like you said, probably when I was around fourth or fifth grade, if anybody asked me what I wanted to, you know, be when I grew up, I would say a teacher. Um, most of my family, you know, they were teachers, they were educators of some sort. And so that just seemed like kind of the natural pathway. Um, I thought that I would do, you know, math and science. I was going to do both of them. Um, not really sure about how that would all work, but that was my plan. Um, and then as I, you know, got to closer to the point of actually needing to make that an official decision, I didn't consider teaching. I didn't consider education at all. Um, I think, you know, I felt like I needed to do something different. I needed to, to, you know, find some other, you know, area in, in either math or science, um, something STEM related that, you know, in my mind sounded like the really important job, um, you know, and it's funny, you know, I've kind of come full circle, but, you know, at that point, Picking my initial major of chemical engineering, that just sounded like the right path to go on. Um, it was going to be this well-paying job. I was going to have all of these opportunities. And then I started looking um, during my freshman year at what a chemical engineer actually does. And when I started reading through just some of the, you know, the job descriptions, I thought, this sounds terrible. This does not (laughs) sound um, like anything that I want to possibly do. Um, So I started, you know, I I know that I drove my mother absolutely crazy because I changed my major so many times. I think she was worried I was never going to graduate from college. Um, But I did in four years still. But um, I put her through a lot of stress because I considered physical therapy. Um, You know, I switched majors, started taking all of these other classes so that I could get, you know, the application process going, did all of these internship hours, you know, even got to the point where it was time to start interviewing for schools. And I had that moment again. I thought, is this really what I want to do? Um, You know, if I could work with maybe athletic injuries all of the time, that, that would be more of the fun side. Um, but when I started looking at just kind of the pathway that was opening up for a lot of the graduating physical therapists at that time, I thought, I, I don't think I can do this. I just don't think this is what I would enjoy. So I went back to, you know, uh, just a pure science degree. I was in biochem. I was here at the university and it finally just dawned on me you love school. You love everything about school. You love class. You love the people. Um, maybe you should give education just another, another thought, another shot at it. Um, and at that point, you know, I had, had been dating my boyfriend at the time, um, for, you know, multiple years and he was a math ed major. He was planning on being a math teacher and was completely sure about that decision. So I came in and I talked with Dr. Rock. Um, I talked with Dr. Vincent, who was here at the time and I made the decision to switch into teacher education um, and to go into, you know, this, this area of becoming a science teacher um, 
And I think my mom thought I had lost my mind. She said, are you sure? Do you think you want to do this? I was like, yeah, I think I do. I think I really do. Um, But even going into it, up until the point I did my student teaching, I thought that I would get the degree, um, get licensed, you know, get out into the field, and then pursue the counseling degree. I thought that I would end up being a school counselor. Um, but in my first week of student teaching, Miss Nicholas, like I said, was just such a wonderful guide for me. Um, let me just really kind of fill things out. And I fell in love with it. And within a week, um, I had called the graduate school and told them I no longer wanted to apply for the graduate program for counselor education, um, that I was going to stick with being a teacher and staying in the classroom. Yay, we win. (laughs) (laughs) It took a while, but I, you know, I got there. I finally got there and I never looked back. I never regretted it for one single second. I've absolutely loved, you know, the journey that I've been on for these last 20 years. Yes, I mean, amazing story. I mean, thinking about the, again, trying on the identity, especially with the student teaching with uh, Mrs. Nicholas, where, you know, she gave you chances to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. And, and I mean, where then you get to say like, yeah, this, this, this fits, this fits. I mean, versus like, you know, some of those other, like the other majors, like I, I went through a variety of majors too as well, but like mm-hmm. those other majors where you're like, you graduate and you're like, well, now what? Versus like right. <laughs> education, at least you, <laughs> at least you, I mean, before you leave here, you got to try this on. You got to at least see yes. like, does this fit just a little bit? So that's, that's great. <laughs> All right. Um, thinking about placing a mile marker on the path to better teaching. So again, you said 20 years as an educator. Now we're working in with teachers as a teacher educator. Um, what what would be the moment? What, where would you place that mile marker on your path to better teaching? So, you know, after I thought about it, um, I went through and I taught, you know, mostly biology and anatomy um, for oh gosh, about 15 years um, with an occasional elective here and there. And there were a few years where I taught nothing but, you know, biology one period after period or anatomy and physiology period after period. And I had just really gotten into a rut. Um, And about the time I was going into my 16th year, I got the opportunity to go and be trained to teach AP biology and to take on that course. And it was one of those I thought, okay, I'm, I'm really far into my career. Is this something that, you know, I want to bite off? Because I was very comfortable. Um, I could just walk in and pick up and teach, you know, one of my other classes from any point. Just stick me in there and tell me where you are and I could just do it. Um, but I took on that challenge. I went and I was terrified, you know, going through the school, um, the summer institute that they do, um, because it is so intensive. You know, I sat in this hotel room for an entire week, um, you know, going back and really having to study again for the first time in a really long time. Um, And then I got into the class and just realized I loved it. I loved the challenge again. I loved having to, you know, make sure that I was fully prepared, that I was having to really investigate, really research and look into the the content again. Um, You know, teaching that class, I think, kind of saved me from my rut um, because it did have me 
just at a constant state of challenge, just if for one thing, trying to um, anticipate the questions that my students might ask me, um, because no one wants to say, I don't know. Um, I mean, I learned really easily to say, I don't know if I don't Mm -hmm. know it um, and I'll get back to you, but no one wants to have to say it. And so I found myself trying to anticipate, you know, what are the kids going to ask about? What is something that they may struggle with? Or, you know, what is something that they may have just heard about on the news that they are going to tie into today's class? And so I was pushing myself and just kind of reinventing, you know, just the way that I approached things in a class. And it was great. I loved it. So what would you use to represent that moment. So 16 years in, so like, what would you use to represent like, Hey, here's the artifact that would represent this, this change in, in your teaching. I really had to change my style. Um, I had gotten way too comfortable, um, with, you know, here are your notes, here are a few questions, here is just kind of our, our standard routine. And, at that point, I knew that that wasn't going to cut it. Uh, I had to really go back and just reevaluate the way that I had been teaching. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I had just left out a lot of stuff, but there were so many opportunities that I could have capitalized on early on um, that I was now kind of taking the risk. So my students in the AP class wanted to just take notes. They were happy. Just give us the information. We'll learn this and you can give us a test on it. But I wanted them to interact with it. And so I kept pushing myself to find new and different ways to, you know, model this or have this hand on experience or what lab could we do here? Um, Where, you know, could we go see this in action? What could we do to actually make this part, you know, come to life, you know, for the students Um, and really just helping them to master that content if they weren't digging deeper and you know deep enough then I was going to have to find a way to make them ask the right questions and to kind of guide them on that journey um so I I I think my biggest just piece of evidence there is that I just had to transform um just the way that I was doing things in the classroom um just to make sure that I was being the best teacher for that content that I could possibly be at that time did you have any resources or anything that you, and I'm putting you on the spot here, this is an mm-hmm. off the cuff question, any resources or things you're like, you know, if I'm going to have them engage with this idea or this topic, like that was something that I used a lot from that resource or anything like that, that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really funny. Um, one of my best resources that I had that entire time was a Facebook group. Um, you know, I did not have, I I was officially assigned to a PLC, but I was a singleton. No one else in the building was teaching the class that I was teaching. And so I could bounce ideas off of some of my fellow teachers, but a lot of times I was needing things to go to a whole other level. So I was having to find other resources and there's a Facebook group for AP biology teachers. And it is by far one of the best groups that I've ever been part of. Um, You can ask any question on there and you're going to get immediate answers and feedback from all over the world, not just the country, but all over the world with things that people have tried, things that have worked, things that have been complete failures. Um, You can 
share your own, you know, contributions on there and people will give you live feedback on, oh, well, this is great, but have you thought about trying this? Um, and that was, that was probably my greatest resource, just being able to kind of, you know, rely on that. There were, you know, I have friends who have previously taught the course too. Um, and so they were always willing to help, willing to give me suggestions. Um, but a lot of times I, I felt like I needed to kind of figure out a lot of it on my own. I needed to go through that struggle of finding, you know, the right materials and figuring out what was going to work so that it could really be beneficial, not just to the kids, but to, to me as, as well. But one of the interesting things, Nicole, is um, Joel was just in my 353 class um, this semester, and he was talking to the students about selecting artifacts for their portfolio. So if 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 you were in that class and you were talking about this was an important part of your journey and something that changed you. So I'm just trying to think of like, what would you put as like, my students were very um, centered around, what do I put? What do I put as the mm -hmm. artifact? You know, they knew what they wanted to say about it, but they didn't know what to put. So I'm thinking... Joel Nicole could put a screenshot of her Facebook page <laughs> from the like you could do a Facebook page screenshot as your actual physical artifact, and then she has this yeah. obviously the story behind that. But I like how you're talking about you 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 jumped into something that was new for you, mm -hmm. and a lot of times when we do that, it's there's fear, right? You know, you, there's a lot of a fear around doing something new or different or whatever. Um, and so this idea of that support network, um, and then also you being the only person, um, you know, doing that at your school. So you needed some, someone out there. And so this, the social media gives you that, um, <laughs> somewhere out there these days, uh, that if you don't have it in your immediate school, but I was just thinking like, what would my students be? They'd be, they'd want to know, what do I put? What do I put? And then mm -hmm. I think, I think, a. uh, screenshot of your Facebook page. I don't know what that would look like since I'm not on Facebook, but um, it would be something. It's a social media platform that is used by... <laughs> you can tell me about it later. It's right in here. Draw a diagram for... It's like sending letters, only quicker. No. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> it is. It's kind of like email. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so you kind of, and, and I'm just going to ask the question. I think you've, I think mm -hmm. you've answered it, but you know, I'm just going to ask it anyway. Like, why was this mile marker important to your growth as a teacher? You know, I, I feel like any, at any point in my career, um, people would say, Oh, do you think you're going to retire at this age or at this age or at this age? And I said, you know, I don't know. Um, but as a teacher, I feel like I'm constantly trying to improve myself. I'm looking at ways, you know, to just rejuvenate myself and to make what I have put together as a class better every time I do it and make it better each time. Um, and so for me, I guess the biggest thing with the mile marker is that it really just kind of put a stake in the ground of saying, okay, this is, this is where you're going to grow by leaps and bounds, or you're going to fail <laughs> enormously. Um, and that one, I just wasn't going to let that one be an option for me at that point. Um, and so I just feel like I went through this huge period of growth. Um, you know, and it was a little bit later. I wish I'd, you know, picked up the class earlier on, but 
that wasn't part of the plan. Um, it, it would have completely have changed my path, you know, from that point on. So at that point, picking up the class, you know, having to reevaluate things, having to look at things from all these different perspectives and just really push myself on a day-to-day basis. It made me develop into a better teacher. It made me grow um, and just, you know, try to find new ways of doing things. So this is the the fun part where we get to connect to standards mm-hmm. and talk about why this is important to the field. And what's cool about this, I mean, this one mile marker, I think, I mean, it's almost, it's kind of ridiculous how many standards I think you're hitting, but what, did any of those standards in the, the INTAS standards stand out to you as uh, a standards for, that the field has identified that are important for a teacher to grow and develop? Did any of those line up with your mile marker or your growth experience? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I went through the list, I, I, I feel like I could have kind of put something with a lot of them. Um, but there were three that really just kind of stood out to me. Um, first was number five with the application of content. Um, you know, science in general is all about problem solving. Um, and it is real life. It, it's very easy to tie it into something that is taking place around us every single day. Um, and now the future of solving our world's biggest problems, it, it's going to come down to people having a lot of creativity. Um, they're being able to work together. They're being able to, you know, try to figure out this, this elusive answer um, that has managed to escape people before. Um, so definitely that application of content I thought was probably the biggest one, um, just especially with my biology content. Um, the second one I thought was probably standard number eight with instructional strategies. Um, it was all about finding the connections. I had students that could probably listen and repeat back to me everything that I just said, or they could write it down and it was already completely committed to their memory, but I didn't need them just to repeat it back to me. I needed them to be able to apply it, to be able to use it, to be able to transfer that knowledge from one set of situations to another set of situations and be able to actually do something with that. Um, Figuring out ways to make those connections was also where some of the biggest challenge came from. Um, but I, I, I felt like that was fun, a fun challenge to have to kind of go through and figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, I liked number 10 um, on leadership and collaboration, because as I moved into, you know, that particular class, I did end up having the opportunity to teach another AP class. And so I was, I was teaching AP biology. I was teaching AP environmental science, and it opened up this, this kind of little network where I was able to work with a lot of the other teachers who were also teaching maybe a a lower level of environmental science or a different level of biology where we could really talk through things and bounce ideas off of each other. Um, I started to kind of fill in the role of being an instructional coach um, for other science teachers. And that just kind of, you know, made everything start to come full circle. So I, I realized that I'd always had the passion for teaching my students and for working with my students and seeing those light bulbs go off. But then I started to realize how much I loved working with other teachers and working with, you know, the new and developing teachers that were coming in, even the student teachers who were in my classroom, Um, getting to see them kind of find that excitement um, and start to kind of figure out how they would want to cover things. 
as they got into their their own classrooms. And now look what you're what you're doing now. Right? It's there come full go. circle. It has right, definitely so come full circle. We ask our our, um, our pre-service teachers to to come up with a pocket-sized philosophy statement, so a, like a statement that guides kind of what they do in the classroom and who they are as a as a teacher. So we're gonna put it on you. What do you have a pocket-sized philosophy statement? Yeah, mine is easy. Um, I feel like learning is continuous and it's just an essential way of life. Um, if we don't continue to learn, if we don't continue to investigate new things, then we kind of become just stale. I know in my classroom, you know, I, I kind of modeled everything around the scientific method. You ask questions, you observe things, you try to, you know, come up with explanations for those questions. You try to analyze these results and you try things. Um, you know, lab days in my class, I know were stressful sometimes for some students because they were so worried um, about, oh gosh, what if I mess this up? And I would say, well, what if you do? What are what are we going to do? We're going to try to identify where it messed up and we can try again, or we're going to learn from the mistake. Um, I just feel like that's just part of any classroom. Kids need to feel the freedom um, to make those mistakes and look at them as ways to grow and to develop instead of them being just these, these terrible, you know, just instances of where they feel like they are just shut down. Um, Cause I think the kids need to see that everybody's still learning, that everybody is still trying to develop. And that's just, that's just part of life. Well, Nicole, I love how your um, pocket size philosophy is connected to your mile marker. <laughs> it is connected to, you know, your experiences, because I think it, we always talk with our uh, pre-service teachers about, the importance of, and we have them start thinking about their philosophy early on in their program because it's the guide for everything. Mm-hmm. And it ends up when you, when you, when someone's at the end of the program, and then obviously for you into your career, and you look back and you look at what's important to you, you know, it's, you see that it's reflected in everything you've done and the things that you think that you value, and it's part of what motivates you. Absolutely. And so I think that's really neat for, you know, that every that you what you just said in your pocket size philosophy is completely reflective of the stories that you just told us, <laughs> and that that it's all you know it's all together because it's what's important to you and it what's what it's what motivates you. Yeah, well, it is. I was going to no, say go it's also connected to I mean, in what you're talking about in like the making the mistakes and and seeing that it was inside. I mean, Dr. Monroe, you and I have talked about that with regards to mathematics too. Is like the thinking that you know, the only way to be a doer of mathematics is to do it perfectly. We know that that's not going to happen. And right. the same thing with, I mean, science is built on mistakes. Like you got to have, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I had wrong assumptions and I figured it out. And like, now we get yeah. to move forward with it. So, I mean, just that embracing of being a doer, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, now's the time when we get to dump some resources that we, that kind of come to mind when we hear what you, what you've said. And so one thing I wanted to point out is there's an article I read as a, I think an undergrad, but it was on the life cycle of a teacher. And so you think like those first critical years about kind of the survival stage and making it mm-hmm. to like, okay, and then you find your groove, you know, around year three or year four. Um, and then, and then you get, you get in your groove, but then like you're talking about that groove then could become a rut. Right. And then, but there is like in the, in the life cycle of a teacher that stay in the field, like there is like some, something happens where there's some sort of 
leap in development. And it was almost like textbook of what you're talking about. Something like I'm going to take on a new course. I'm going to rethink how I, I structure my teaching. I'm going to take on a leadership role within my school and in, in doing something like being aware that there, there is this life cycle, like even just, man, the first few years of teaching are hard. Like, yeah, they are. They are for everybody. They're very hard. <laughs> They're hard. And, but it'll get better and you're going to get better. It's not going to be it just like, you know, we're talking about with math and science. It's not like you're going to do it perfectly coming out of the gate. There is going to be some struggle and let's celebrate the struggle because it's, it's what people go through. Like, but there is ways to mediate that and working with others and, and having a mentor and all that sort of thing to, to help you in those stages. Then also too, one of the resources that I've gone to for like thinking about instructional strategies and whatnot is a book, uh, Joyful Learning by uh, Alice Udvari Solner and Paula Kluth. And it's just full of instructional strategies that are inclusive, that were, were designed, were taken out of the classroom and just basically put into this book. Not like someone just sitting there coming up with ideas like, no, these were mm-hmm. used by teachers. And in order to have like all these different ways of I've got prompts, I've got problems. I want to come up with some creative ways to investigate. I'm not that creative of a person. It's one of those great books. You just dive into like, Oh, that's a good idea. Let's just do that. And then to have, and we, we talked about this with our student today to have like five instructional strategies that you can use in your back pocket. Like, Oh, I've got 10 minutes at the end of class. All right. I got a prompt and we're going to do stand and deliver. So it's a way to get all, everyone get an opportunity to get, provide some feedback on a question um, through this instructional strategy. And it's like having those sorts of things, like makes it kind of exciting so that I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we're going to use the time. We're going to be able to engage around these tasks. And I'm going to trust my students to be able to interact with the content in some fun ways. So those are the two resources I had. I don't know, Dr. Monroe, did you have anything? Yeah. One thing uh, that you touched on, Nicole, is this idea that we were talking about that failure is not allowed in schools is sort of this message, this unfortunate message that's sent to students, whether it be explicitly, which sometimes it is, unfortunately, mm-hmm. or implicitly in the in the way that we structure schools is that failure is is not wanted and is a terrible thing. And uh, so it really prevents students from taking risks. So just just sort of putting this out there for people to explore. I know it's kind of a, a bigger broader topic than just that, but it's Alfie Cohen's No Grades, No Homework mm-hmm. equals better learning. Um, and so, of course, Alfie Cohen's a big proponent for n- n- no grading and things like this. But uh, And I know some of it can be a little bit controversial, but I think it's just kind of opening your mind and expanding the idea of, of uh, what development's all about and what learning's all about. Mm-hmm. And it's not about right or wrong. It's not about um, passing grades or not passing grades. Um, and so I think that might be some, an interesting something for someone to explore. I also I recommend some his, his books on rewards and punishment too. Good. <laughs> and, and given, uh, I mean, 20 years of experience, you might have some other resources that maybe pop to mind, Nicole, that you want to make sure to share. We'll put links in the show notes. Okay. Off the top of my head, you know, there's one that I, I have sitting on my shelf that I'm going to read and I haven't read yet, but it's called uh, Teaching Students to Learn. Um, I got to listen in with a college professor and she was speaking to a lot of our students um, through the Global Teaching Project, just about learning in general, not about content um, and just really kind of prepping themselves in order to receive 
the material to the best of their ability. And so it had so many great pointers for the students to take, but it also had a lot of really great things for the teachers to, you know, kind of consider, you know, helping, you know, the students to identify different patterns, you know, just different ways for students to be able to make those connections and be able to put it all together. Um, so that's on my reading list. I just haven't gotten, hadn't had the time to dive into it just yet. Awesome. Well, good. Well, thank you. And again, we'll put all those links in the show notes to all those resources. So thank you, Nicole, for uh, joining us on the podcast. And thank you for tuning in to the teacher's journey, mile markers on the road to better teaching. This episode may be over, but the journey to better teaching continues. So please subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when the next episode is ready for a listen. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast. You can also share the podcast with someone you feel may be interested in these stories of teacher development. And are you ready to start your journey to better teaching? Send an email to Nick Sisk, Nick F at Ole Miss.edu, the School of Education Admissions Counselor to hear all about, uh, about all of the options for becoming a teacher or an educational leader. Perhaps you are well into your journey and looking to further advance as a practitioner or researcher in your field. For more information on all our graduate programs, contact the University of Mississippi School of Education's Graduate Studies Office by sending an email to gradeducation at olemiss.edu. You can also follow the University of Mississippi School of Education on social media. There it is. Like Facebook, those kinds of things. Just like email uh, at Ole Miss Ed School on Twitter and Instagram. So you can learn more about the opportunities like free graduate application weekends and a lot more. Information can be found in the show notes for this episode at roadtobetterteaching.com. And finally, thank you, Nicole, for sharing a portion of your journey with us. And thank you to all you listeners out there for taking the journey to better teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you've been given to teach others. 